You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Great evening, Drawing Board Nation. This is your host, Andre Ebron. I am the founder of the Drawing Board Nation, uh, the author of the Drawing Board. If you've been reading, hopefully you've gotten your copy. If not, you can go to thedrawingboardnation.com for the Drawing Board. And recently I have released a new book entitled Mind Your Business. Mind Your Business, Self-Care Strategies and Mindfulness Practices Designed to Reduce the Negative Effects of Stress. But tonight I am coming to you as the podcast host. I am not sure what happened to our guest this evening. Uh, we were supposed to have Ray Winans come on, and I know that uh, he's definitely a man of integrity, so something must have come up. Uh, we just pray all is well with both he and his family. So uh, tonight is you and I. We get a chance to hang out. We get a chance to talk. We get a chance to converse. And I'm looking forward to what you guys may say in the chat. The question that I have for you tonight, here's the, here's the thought-provoking question that I have. It's going to challenge you to examine your life and reimagine the possibilities is what is your pathway to healing? What is your pathway to healing emotionally? What is your pathway to healing spiritually? What is your pathway to healing social? What is it inside of you that means healing, which means reconcile to wholeness? Because when we talk about healing, it means different things to different people. Uh, but when we talk about reconciling, bringing back together, uh, those fragmented, fractured parts of our lives to bring it back to wholeness. What is it and what is the pathway to healing in your life? I'm going to go into the Facebook comments now to see what's happening uh, on Facebook today to see what it is that you're saying. So first, I want you to do something. I want you to identify the areas in your life that you have labeled as broken because Frederick Douglass said it's easier to prepare, to train, to raise strong young men than it, it is, I mean, strong boys than it is to repair broken men. So I'm going to ask you, what fractured your perspective? What fractured your innocence? What fractured your perception of what a healthy relationship is? And we have to talk about a pathway to healing. I'm giving you a second to come on. I'm giving you a second to think about that because these are some very deep questions uh, that you have to examine. I did that in my life uh, several years ago. Um, I'm going to walk you through this exercise uh, that I normally would do in a one-on-one -on -one session with someone. But since it's just you and I tonight, uh, I'll share this exercise with you. I believe that you can look at your five most powerful experiences in your life positive experiences, five most positive experiences in your life and your five most negative traumatic experiences in your life. And I think that you can look at those 10 experiences and that they shape how you engage, interact and respond to people in your life. You can take those five most powerful experiences. So for me, uh, of course, uh, my relationship with God, when I was younger, uh, my mom, you know, I was raised in church. And so one of the things that happened was, uh, you know, I was baptized at an early age. And then I, I got to the age of accountability, which better known about age 13. And I wanted to get baptized again. And so that experience of me making the choice to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, that began to provide a framework of how I would choose to engage and serve humanity. So my relationship with Christ and my faith informs what I think, how I feel, how I engage, respond and interact with other people, which means that my motive from interacting with others, whether it be uh, personal relationships, professional relationships or any type of ancillary relationships, that the foundation of my interaction with all people is love. Uh, then I had a mother who was a Marine, a loving mother who never gave up. So that impacted my style of parenting. Now, interestingly enough, uh, I grew up with a mom who believed uh, in whooping that butt. I mean, she did. She believed that if you got out of line, 
Like we talked a lot, we conversed a lot. Uh, she challenged me. One of her primary things was, I'm challenging you to be a thinking man, that you would have your own thoughts. You would respect, honor, uh, and value the thoughts of others, but you would be able to have your own independent thought. And that independent thought had to be based upon some principle. So every thought has a foundation. Every foundation has a source. And so the principle, excuse me, which may be the foundation, that principle is rooted in a source. And so what she challenged me to do was make sure that you understand that you have your own independent thought. Then check the foundation or the principle that that thought is based upon and then check the root, check the, the, the causation, the actual source of that foundation. And so that is how I engage with people. I am uh, extremely cerebral. I am a thinker. I am. I, I critically analyze uh, what's being said to me, see if it aligns with what I believe, think, and feel. And then if it's not something that I agree with, I can peaceably, I said, whew, I can peaceably disagree, disagree with someone so we don't get pissed off or upset uh, it, with one another. And I use those words intentionally because I slipped, the Freudian slipped there, uh, and I said those words. But here's what we must do. We must begin to analyze. So that's point number two for me. So my relationship with Christ, my relationship with my mother, uh, then my relationship, watch this, with my wife. Uh, me getting married, actually, it listen, it satisfied so many of the things that I have been praying for. I don't often share this story, but I'll share it now. Uh, and this is just you and I getting to know each other, talking about a pathway to healing, reconciling the broken pieces in our life to bring back to form or fullness or wholeness. And so getting with uh, marrying my wife, uh, I was able, she was my safe place where I could expose my vulnerability. And my goddad, uh, Apostle Dr. Oscar J. Dowdell Underwood, uh, junior gave me this um, direction when I was getting ready to go off to college, uh, told me that I would meet my wife in college. And here's how I would be able to know that it was her, that she would be able to respect the man that I'm current, that I currently am and still love the little boy that is within me. And that means those uh, those underdeveloped, immature areas that are still growing uh, can respect who I currently am and still love the parts of me that are developing. And so there is a little boy, a little girl, or areas in your life that are underdeveloped or immature, and the only person generally that gets to see those areas up close and personal are those whom you share or feel, mo feel most vulnerable with. Now, I know when we talk about immaturity, we're talking about outward action that expresses itself in a way that generally breaks down relationships, but I'm not talking about immaturity in that way. That's generally a response or a defense mechanism to keep people from engaging your most vulnerable areas. So when you see someone acting out crazily, when you see someone uh, responding negatively, when you see somebody cursing, screaming, yelling, uh, doing all of those different things, that you will say, wow, that person is immature. Or you see that their mindset or, or their thinking is immature so that they only have a myopic view of the situation, meaning that they may not have been exposed to a greater truth or exposed to a greater resource or exposed to a greater principle or exposed to a greater truth. What I'm talking about is those areas within your purpose that have not come, watch this, to full revelation, meaning that there are parts of us that we haven't even become acquainted with. And really, that's a lifelong journey of getting to know yourself better. Uh, there's a, a, a um, an affirmation that we used to have to say at Cornerstone Prep, and it's really the student's creed. And at the end of it, one of my favorite lines, it says, thus my burden lightens with each revelation of me. And so as I'm growing and getting to know more and more about myself, uh, that this woman, my wife, uh, could respect who I am and still love the parts of me that are developing. And so that type of grace uh, I had not experienced in another relationship uh, with that level of intimacy, uh, exposing uh, those hidden parts of me, exposing those parts of me that only she knows about. And so that right there 
uh, brought that grace brought a level of healing to my life that had been hurt since I was a kid when my mom got sick when I was 13. Let me tell you, and that that's going to be one of the uh, the painful experiences that literally has transformed uh, the way that I did life, uh, the way that I engaged the world. So um, point number three, what impacted me the most. Uh, I can remember uh, when my wife and I first found out that we were pregnant um, with my daughter, Christian, and then uh, later on with my son, Andre. Uh, to be in someone's life from the first breath that they take, knowing that your decisions uh, will impact the quality of their life is a humbling experience that I understand a huge risk and a huge responsibility. That's called faith, right? So living by faith means that you assess that there's a full, the, the risk and the responsibility, the full weight of that belongs to you. And so that experience, I remember uh, when my daughter was born and she turned her head. Uh, listen, I'm talking about out the womb. I spoke and she turned her head and looked at me, eyes wide open. And that moment uh, changed my life. Uh, knowing being a father, that moment, it, it listen, it further uh, illuminated my purpose. Uh, I, I was already uh, serving in ministry. I was already excited about being able to deliver the word of truth with power and integrity. I was already excited about serving my, commu my, my community. I was already committed to trying to unearth every potential gift that God has placed inside of me. But when that young lady, my daughter, uh, looked me in the eye, it just reignited uh, with, a, with a level of accelerant of the purpose that I had to want to be a better man, an example in her life, because she would literally begin to form her opinions and reality about how a man should love, respond, and respect her based upon the example I set with my wife in front of her as well as how I loved her. So that right there, transformative experience, uh, becoming a father. And then when my son was born, uh, some of the trauma that was surrounding the actual delivery, uh, it built up within me a, a level of resist, uh, resilience and toughness uh, that, and I don't mean toughness as in not able to respond to what I'm feeling emotionally, but just a level of grit to be able to go through some challenging times and not to succumb to what seems insurmountable, unsurpassable, uh, not being able to overcome those things. To pray and watch this, look at God perform his miracles right in front of me. It took my commitment to God to another level. Uh, so um, becoming a father uh, caused me uh, to engage my relationship with God as my father. I will ask you this question. Here's the question I'll ask. I know you know God as a redeemer. I know you know God as a healer. I know you know God as a way maker, a bridge over troubled water. For some of you, a doctor in the sick room, a lawyer in the courtroom. Uh, you know him as the one who comes and sits with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, be with you always, even until the ends of the earth. But the question I have for you is, do you know him as Abba Father? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust that he has a plan for you, that the thoughts that he thinks towards you are good and not evil, and that that it will bring you to an expected end, give you a future and a hope? Do you earnestly believe that? Because if you do, then your actions, listen, when I, when I fully embrace the fatherhood of God, listen, hot tears rolled down my face because for the first time in a long time, I was able to fully submit to him. Uh, for some of us who don't have, um, you know, positive level of engagement with our father's figures or those relationships uh, weren't the most healthy. I'm, t I'm telling you, when I got to know God as my father, I could totally submit. I could totally submit and surrender to him. Now, I don't know about you all. Some of us out there, like the children of Israel, hard head, stiff neck, strong opinions, bold, courageous, 
all of those things that have caused you to not just survive, but thrive. Uh, you're a fighter by nature. You you take on things. You're not afraid of a challenge. Uh, all of those things that make you successful in one area can actually hinder you in other areas. So, man, listen, I was I was uh, I would push through, pass through, ready to go, not afraid of anything. Um, and that type of drive is good when you are talking about, you know, pushing forward in projects. It doesn't work so well in relationships. <laughs> uh, that type of drive uh, doesn't work so well in certain areas. And what I had to do was pray, submit myself to God. Um, and from that point, the Holy Spirit spoke this word. He said, don't be so driven that you can't be led. The Holy Spirit, that is. And if you can be led by God or the Holy Spirit, you don't have a problem respecting the authorities that he placed in your life. I'm talking about spiritual authorities with integrity uh, that have demonstrated themselves uh, faithful to God first and definitely have love, respect and honor who God has called you and created you to be. All right. So listen, that right there, becoming a dad, it continues to transform my life, my life in ways that I, I didn't even know was possible. Uh, then the next experience that I had, a uh, positive experience that I had is when I began to serve as a social worker fresh out of college. Uh, serving as a social worker, uh, one, of, one of the scriptures that I love talks about how Jesus Christ says, we know not in high priest who's not touched with the feeling of our infirmity, meaning that Christ, who is the epitome of a servant leader, that he put himself in a position to feel what we feel, to feel even greater pain than what we feel, to be acquainted with suffering and to know joy. Uh, the balance of those that human experience that he left the, the host in the royal diadem of heaven, he put on an earth suit so that he, as our high priest, as our intercessor, our intermediary, our go through our bridge uh, from a holy God, from, from a fallen man to a holy God, that he would be acquainted with our suffering. Serving as a social worker uh, gave me the balance and the experience of being touched with the feeling of the infirmity of humanity and to invoke a responsibility and accountability through the support I would provide to my community to be able to walk with kings but not lose the common touch, uh, to be able to be in some of the highest and best boardrooms and to be able to walk the block just the same. So I told people and I share with the youth that I mentor, I said the name of the game is respect from the block to the boardroom. It doesn't change. It, it doesn't change. There is no no changing factor that people want to be respected, acknowledged, revered, and appreciated. And so same thing, the thing that could cost you your life on the streets, where it's a lack of respect or a perceived lack of respect, can cost you your career if you go to these boardrooms and there is some mishandling of a relationship that someone says that there should have been a more respectful or intuitive response to who was in the room. I'm telling you, name of the game is, re is respect, the players may change. The game stays the same. And so learning that and serving, um, I have seen um, altruism in so many shapes, forms, philanthropy, giving back, uh, being on these teams and committees and, and social causes and seeing how the heart of man can be so pure toward someone else and wanting to see them better their life. And then I have seen the depravity, the crookedness, the corruption um, the, the vile, um, just the, the substratum of every negative type of interaction, abuse and neglect. I have seen that too in a frame as a social worker. And then to be able to minister to those who, uh, also serve in that capacity. Listen, when you are an advocate, the, when you are a social worker, when you are a, a servant leader, when you are someone who has literally poured their life out as a drink offering um, to serve humanity, there is a cost to that. There is a, in my book, The Drawing Board, I talk about counting the cost. And so it, it, it frames it from the position of not putting your hand to the plow and then turning around. 
So there are some advocates out there that are listening to me and you are in so much pain, but you continue to serve. Uh, there are some social workers who I know your daily grind. I know some of the things that you hear, some of the things that you experience vicariously by reading case files, some of the children and families that you engage with on a regular, that you have secondary trauma. That's educators as well. That's police officers, anybody serving in a human service capacity. I understand the trauma that you go through on a daily basis just to serve and protect if you're out there, uh, you know, as a police officer. If you're an educator and children come into uh, your environment and you can tell there are signs and symptoms of trauma, neglect and abuse, and you are there to catch the pieces of that child that's falling in your arms while you're teaching English, math, um, you know, I'll, I'll go all the way back to three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, while you're scaffolding and differentiating learning, while you're now, we're now in this virtual space and you're probably seeing more things in the background than you care to share, uh, or you're dealing with the frustration of a child who seemingly can't focus, not because they don't have the capacity or the ability, but they haven't been taught, trained, educated, and equipped to engage in this platform in a way that's meaningful and purposeful. I know what it is to catch the falling pieces of those who, who, who have gone through so much trauma. And I know what it is to minister to those who are the ones that are there catching the pieces. Because sometimes they don't have a safe place to land. And so I'm just thankful to God that uh, my mentors, that I can call them uh, when things have become too cumbersome. And so that, that fifth thing for me is uh, my mentorship relationship. Listen, my mentoring relationship, they have been so instrumental to me that if I didn't have them, I told my mentor the other day, uh, the chief apostle, Dr. Carol Lee Dixon, uh, she was congratulating me on my book. And I told her it, it would not have happened without you. I remember being stuck in that spot between, ha have you ever had the frustration of potential like of your life? Now we talk about potential because potential gives us hope of a brighter and a better future. Potential unearths for us re a reality that we have more gifts than we have expressed. Potential illuminates for us that there's so much more in us than we've seen yet. But the reality is that potential is evidence of work not done. And so the frustration of knowing what it is that you feel like you can do, and then the reality of what it is that you currently have to do, and the gulf between the two of those. The frustration of potential. I should probably write something about that. What do you guys think? Put it in the comments. Should I write something about that? The frustration of potential. Uh, knowing that potential is an indication of hope, uh, but potential is also an indication of work not done yet. And the person who possesses the potential has the pain of birthing this, this new level. So when we talk about inspiring, motivating, transforming, like I thank God for my mentors who were there to help me birth this new level, who prayed for me when my pieces were falling. I don't, I, you guys get a chance to see some of the things that are happening, but you weren't there when my mother and my wife began to take turns, uh, you know, who, when they were not feeling well, when they were ill and I was the caregiver. You weren't there. And so when you see the post, you get a chance to see like the success of a thing, but you don't get a chance. I, I just want you to know, and here's something that I can share, is that oh, when you're on this pathway to healing, like those that follow you or those that you are leading, you can't expect that they are sympathetic to the pain that you feel because guess what? They are too busy bringing you the pain that they feel. You have to sew upward. You have to sew upward. So what do I mean by that? I mean that you can't expect healing from those whom you serve. You have to begin to connect to someone who's where, not just where you desire to be. What, please listen, not where you, and I'm, this has nothing to do with material success, okay? Right now I'm talking about the inside you, who you are in here. When I talk about my mentors, yeah, materially, they, they are successful. They've done a lot of great things. They had huge and great impact. But what draws me to them as mentors is that I literally can see my destiny, my future, the purpose God has for me in the cadence of their speech, 
What they say to me impacts and makes alive a part of me on the inside that illuminates God's plan for my life. That's why they are there as my mentor. So my mentors were there. Uh, And when I see someone who is insanely successful, when I see them having huge impact, especially in the lives of people, I know that there's a great level of pain that accompanies that. So when I see their post, I'm there to support it. I'm there to encourage it because it is pain to give birth, to deliver that baby. I remember I'll share this story. My wife probably is going to look on here and she might comment. But I remember uh, when my wife was pregnant and I was one of those very involved husbands uh, during the, the, the pregnancy process. I went to every appointment. Uh, I was there to help tie her shoe. I was there to try to cook her favorite meals. And when she was pregnant with my daughter, I was in law school commuting uh, back and forth to Lansing twice a week. And because she couldn't touch uh, raw meat or she would get sick, like I would work all day, 40 hours. I would drive down to Lansing, sit in class for three hours. I would come back, get home from Lansing, probably about 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I would cook for us, eat and then study and then get back up to be at work at eight o'clock again in the morning. Uh, But she woke up in the middle of the night and she was having some sickness where she was throwing up. And I went over there to provide my to provide my support uh, while she was throwing up in the bathroom and I was rubbing her. I had moved her hair back. I was holding her hair and I was rubbing her back. And she looked at me with this look as if if you don't back up out of my space and let me just finish throwing up so I can be done with this. Getting out those what those I don't know what that was. Listen, I don't know. It definitely wasn't attributed, excuse me, it wasn't attributed to my cooking. I'm a great chef, great chef, all right? (laughs) No, but it's just a part of the process. And when you're going through your process, there are times when those who love you will seek to support you. And you may even want their support, but you don't want it in that way. So after she finished throwing up, brushing her teeth and everything, she came in the bed and she just wanted me to hold her. And that is the level of support that she wanted at that moment. Now, listen, there are some of us out there. You love somebody. Excuse me. Oil is in my eyes. Um, But you love somebody. And you went over there to provide some support to them. And they rejected the support, the type of support that you were trying to give. And instead of you intuitively observing what was going on and trying to figure out another way you could support, you got offended because they rejected the type of support that you were offering. Whoa. Here's what I'm going to share share with you. Q-tip. Quit taking it personal. In the context of any loving relationship, there's going to be a time where you try to provide support in one way and they need it in another way. Think about the people who love you, where they try to provide support in one way. And because it didn't come in the way that you thought it should come, the the idea sometimes can creep in by the enemy that you feel abandoned because you're not receiving support in the way you need support. But I'm going to ask you this question. On this pathway to healing, could you be a better communicator about the support that it is that you need? Most of us don't communicate the support we need because we are afraid of rejection. This is the truth. I'll share another story with you. Uh, I went to live with my dad when I graduated high school. And I had graduated high school a year early. So I was 17. I moved out to Philly. Well, we lived in the suburb of Philly, Collingdale. And uh, at that time, I had curly hair on top. Uh, the sides were faded. I had I was straight preppy. I had on a, a, a solid color polo and some plaid shorts, cool little sneaks to match. You know, this was I thought I was fresh, but I was out in Philly. In Philly, that's not how they get down. In Philly, uh, they had on, uh, you know, some Jabot shorts or Jabot jeans with the Tims on. Uh, at that time, the oversized white tees were in. That wasn't my thing. Eh, it just wasn't me. Uh, Oversized white tees, 
And so I'm out there. And at this point, I'm just, I'm really just chilling. I'm not, uh, you know, kicking it with my dad. We went down to the pier for 4th of July. And, uh, you know, we're with, uh, we were with his now wife and uh, her sons, uh, my brothers, Tamir, Tordell, and Tyrell. And we were just kicking it. They were, they were young. I had graduated. My dad said, hey, Andre, go, go talk to that girl right there. And I was like, I'm really straight, Pops. You know, I'm good. He's like, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I'm like, okay, all right. So I approached the young lady and I said, you know, excuse me, you mind if I have a moment of your time? And she said, yes, I do. And so I bust out laughing because I had never been rejected in that way. And uh, when she expressed to me that she did have, that she had a problem and she didn't have a moment to spare, I told her thank you and I, and I, and I encouraged her to have a good day. But in that moment, I realized that when you get over the fear of rejection and realize that everybody has a choice to accept or reject what it is that you offer to like or dislike, you know, who you are and not take it personal, like that's their choice. I am not upset at your choice. Even though I may have wanted a different result, I have to, as a human being, respect your choice. And when we get into the mode where we're expecting people to violate their own values in order to meet and support what it is that we need, we are abusing them. Let me say that again. When we generate these expectations to have someone violate what they value in order to meet one of our needs or the way we have to be supported, we are abusing them. I know you didn't see it that way. I know. And that sounds aggressive and harsh, but it's a reality. Anytime you ask someone to violate what they think, feel and believe or value in order to meet your need, that is abuse. So my mentoring relationships back to that taught me that rejection is part of the process. It is literally part of the process. And for those of us who believe For those of us who profess that we believe, the Bible declares, Jesus said, the world hated me and therefore they're going to hate you. Scripture also tells us, woe be unto you when all men speak well of you. Means that if somebody is not hating you, then you are missing a part of your purpose because you're going to have people in your life that are there to express favor. And the favor of God is on your life and it attracts those who are designed to increase and push you somewhere positionally, use their power, influence, and ability to help you. But also the favor of God attracts enemies. Enemies, the anointing draws everything. The anointing draws everyone. And so when you feel like, hey, I'm anointed, I got favor on my life, prepare for those two people. People who are there designed by God to send you to that next level. Because promotion does come, it does not come from the East or West, it comes from God. But he generally navigates that through a person. Your season changes when the people change in your life. When you have the right people in your life, right things begin to happen. When you have the wrong people in your life, wrong things begin to happen. When you get the wrong people out of your life, right things begin to happen again. We see that with the relationship between Abraham and Lot. God hadn't spoken to Abraham in so long. Then all of a sudden Lot leaves his life. God begins to speak again. We got to think about that. Something cannot be wrong with you. You just have the wrong people around you. I was talking with my, my coworkers at work today. Oh, look. <laughs> oh, and we were talking about that you literally become those who you surround yourself with. If you if you hang around hustlers, you're going to be a hustler. If you hang around, you know, negative people, you you're going to be a negative person. If you hang around those who have drive, ambitions, and goals. They're going to challenge you, provoke you to be your best self and to develop drive, ambition, and goals. If you hang around wealthy people, you're going to start to begin to acquire wealth. Why? Because there is that's mindset training. When you get around people who have particular mindsets, you'll begin to adapt and adopt what they think. Have you ever been around a friend of yours and maybe they laugh a certain way and they bust out... <laughs> Yeah, I just had to do that. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself uh, unknowingly. Someone will say something and all of a sudden you'll be (laughs) and you'll be like, wait a minute. That's not even my laugh. Because guess what? 
mindsets are contagious. What does that mean? That means that if you get around people who have the right type of thinking, your life will change. You want to change your life? Let the same mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but who for the joy set before him, what? Endured the chastisement, the shame, the pain, all of those things that we might be saved. So get your mind right. Matter of fact, mind your business. That's what I'm saying. On this pathway to healing, those are the things that I'm encouraging. Now let's talk about these five painful things. I know some of you thought, oh, is he only going to share the five positive things? No. I'm going to talk to you about five painful things. When I was 13 years old uh, and my mother was diagnosed with MS, that drastically changed my life. And I've really never talked about this. Uh, well, I have talked about it, but I haven't framed it this way, even in conversing with my family. Uh, when I was 12 years old, my Aunt Dorothy, who, I mean, who's my cousin Jeremy's, who's more like my brother, uh, I was exposed to so many things, um, traveling, uh, going down to, for my Indiana people and across the nation. Uh, my Aunt Dorothy used to make sure uh, that I got to, you know, I, I started bowling uh, at a young age because my cousin Jeremy was bowling. So my Aunt Dorothy encouraged my mom to get me into bowling. Uh, my Aunt Dorothy uh, helped out with a village, over a village uh, baseball diamond. She was volunteering over there. So she told me, she encouraged my mom to get me to play at village. And that's how uh, that relationship started with me playing sports and baseball at Village. Uh, when they were traveling for the Circle City Classic, uh, she would bring me along and uh, I would get a chance to go down there with my cousin and my, my cousins and my uncle, my aunt, and get a chance to kick it in the hotels and walk around Indianapolis. Uh, black, you know, the Black Expo down in Indianapolis. My aunt would make sure I went there. Uh, my aunt Dorothy was an educator and would take me to with my cousin Jeremy to the school so I could help her set up her classroom. And now I'm in education, among other things. Um, and so my aunt Dorothy, when I was 12 years old, uh, she passed away um, from from cancer. And so it's, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I'll just pause and say to all of the survivors out there, all of those who are fighting the good fight of faith and all of the families who have stood beside them while they fought, uh, I'm praying for you. I salute you. I encourage you. I understand and I know that fight. Um, and for those who have had family members overcome the disease by transitioning onto heaven, uh, we are living to live again. I will give no credence or value or, or credit to any disease for the cessation of life. I would just say that the Lord called them home. And so some people can call that semantics. I call it perspective. Um, and so when she passed away, on the heels of that, um, my aunt passing away and trying to be strong for my cousin, um, my brother, Jeremy, uh, shout out to my brother, Jeremy. Uh, he just started a business in Chicago uh, called Snow Cone Mania. Check him out. Snow Cone Manias. It's going to be a great business. It's in the, the genesis uh, of what it will be, the infancy of what it will be. But it's going to grow up and be a multi-million dollar business. So I'm excited about that. Um, but I digress. So on the heels of that, I find out that my mother has MS and MS, multiple sclerosis, uh, multiple sclerosis. Let me say that. It is a devastating disease. Uh, you, it took mother was a Marine and a social worker, someone always serving and giving and to this disease with such veracity attack my superhero and to see that my superhero had a kryptonite that right there as a 13 year old engaging getting ready to go into my adolescent years to watch my superhero um you know falling on the floor because of the it affects your mobility uh to have to learn 
in my teenage years to, to, to learn how to administer uh, the MS medicine with the needle into my mother's leg, uh, to watch her be fatigued and tired. Like, whoa, that impacted my life in a way, man, listen, and to go to some of the doctor's appointments and to hear some of the, the forecast. And I, and I understand doctors have to present in a way. Um, but at this time, when I was 13, you know, medicine has progressed and moved on. But to hear that they just wanted to, you know, medicate and make my mom comfortable, um, you know, until this disease uh, and it's different types of MS. But my mother has the degenerative uh, kind where it attacks your body um, to see that unfolding over the years. Uh, that was rough. And so from that point, even on into my adulthood, and thank God I still have my mother. God bless Dr. Jeanette Louise Subtle Ebron. I love you, Ma. Uh, we know. And I'm sharing this transparently, this testimony, because for children or for parents that have a disease um, or, or you're ailing or you're older or you're going through things, your children feel what you feel. Your children are experiencing what you're experiencing, even when you try to hide it. Because, listen, my mom was she That's a tough lady. I'm talking about my mom is a tough lady. I mean, tough. And to see uh, and I have only seen her cry, like really into my adult years. Uh, she never really expressed those. Listen, tough lady, a Marine uh, in every sense of the word Marine. And so. To see that, to feel that, and not to be able to express that, and then in the midst of that, uh, her having to, having MS and watching her still work two and three jobs to try to provide a better life for my sister and I. Whoa, that right there. Listen, I had to say it slow because I could still feel the well of that emotion of being that little 13-year-old kid who now, in his mind, had to try to figure out what was going to be the state and condition of the family, you know, should mom leave? Because, you know, 13-year-old mind thinks mom has a disease, what the doctor is saying, whoa, we got a short, limited amount of time to do everything. So, hey, at 15... I took my wild and out spell. <laughs> I went through everything that a teenager thought he could do um, with certain limitations. I still had some boundaries there. Um, really just hanging out, having fun. Um, but went through that whole phase because I didn't know how to properly cope. There's some 15-year-old or some parent that's listening to this, and you, your household is going through some things or you're personally going through some health things and you think that your son or daughter, you're wondering like, where is this behavior coming from? They don't know how to cope with the reality of their superhero having a kryptonite. Up until that point, you know, you see your parent with eyes like, listen, nothing is impossible for them. And when you begin to understand their humanity as a child, knowing that you're your parent has weaknesses and then going through adolescence during that time. Listen, you got to give them the grace and support uh, to process through it. I'll stand as a testament. I'll stand the gap for them, intercede and agree with you uh, that what you've shown in them, uh, the lessons, the principles, the things that you've taught them, uh, it will bear fruit. Uh, the one thing that my mom told me in the midst of all of those challenges she told me, Andre, I will never give up on you. I know it was my purpose to bring you into this world. And there is no purpose on this earth that I've been created for that's greater than motherhood. That's what she said. And I think about the countless lives that she's been able to impact through my life, that she vicariously, because of her sacrifice, has been able to impact by giving me a greater advantage. Her sacrifice afforded me the privilege. Every privilege is based upon a sacrifice. And if you can't see the person, 
who has done it immediately, your stick to your perseverance, your plowing through is the way that you honor them. Your effort to keep moving forward and impacting someone else's life gives honor and credence to their sacrifice. And so if you ask me, Andre, what do you think the challenge is with, um, you know, the generational gap, the communication gap? And for me, it, it is a, the principle of honor is no longer being taught. And I'll ask you, have you taught your child or you yourself, do you walk in the principle of honor? Uh, when you honor someone, when you honor something, uh, you stay committed to that principle, even when you don't feel like it or when the feeling has left. There's some type of meme out there that talks about commitment means continuing to do the right thing, even when the feeling uh, has left. And so honor. Bible talks about that. So this is my way of everything that you see me do. I'm still, you know, uh, a young man from the hood who's still trying to make his mother proud. And it's because her sacrifice is the stage that I stand on to impact the lives of those who I currently am, am in front of on a daily basis. So that was traumatic. And then being a caregiver for my mother in, you know, in these past years. Um, and shout out to my sister, Alexis Ebron, who is doing a great job in Indiana, uh, seeing to my mom and making sure that she uh, has what it is that she needs. Uh, being a caregiver has its own set of traumas. To all of those people out there who are caregivers, you don't even realize how much stress and pressure you're under uh, until you no longer have to do that. And that is either your loved one gets better and they, you know, progressively get better in health or if the Lord calls them home and they transition. Being a caregiver is so stressful. And sometimes you don't even want to take the time for yourself because you feel guilty because of the need that is present. But let me share something with you as having been a caregiver. Every caregiver needs a respite. Yes, indeed. I said it and I won't take it back. You need a respite. You know why? Because if you go down, the whole ship goes down. Absolutely. And so with five minutes left, I'll leave you with bated breath, thinking about those other three experiences. But do you see how I've shared the five positive? I've shared with you two negative, two, two traumatic or challenging experiences. And every single one of those lessons, listen, every single one of those experiences bears with it so many lessons. If you read the drawing board, there's a time when my mother, uh, we were working with uh, her physical therapist and he was kicking her butt. Let me tell you, a person who is who's ill or sick, they can be mean as a junkyard dog. <laughs> Absolutely. I know that sounded, that sounded real old school, but you can't take personal what they are saying as they are getting sick. If you do, you will be hurt for life. And I'm not going to tell you that what they may say to you won't hurt. When they are when when they're losing their faculties or or they become in their mind a shell of who they used to be or the fact that they actually have to depend on you to do things for them is sometimes not just humbling, but it, in a sense, it feels guilt and humiliation. So the caregiver is having their challenge and experience of watching their loved one go through. And then the, the person who's being cared for, if they really could do it for themselves, they would. And so sometimes they end up fighting the caregiver because they really are, are screaming out that they want to be independent. And then you have to have that come to Jesus meeting. Let me tell you, there are a lot of tears involved in that come to Jesus meeting. Hug each other. You hug it out. You talk it out. And then you figure out this. I asked my mom this question. I said, you know, Ma. We have to figure out how to enjoy life on the level that we're on. We're not going to wait for some grandiose experience to say now we can enjoy life. We have to enjoy life on the level that we're on. And then I told her this, uh, and this will bless somebody as I get ready to exit. I said, mama, we're going to focus on living 
because dying will take care of itself. I know that sounded, woof, that sounded rough. But if you're focusing, you're a caregiver, and the only thing you can focus on is the day of expiration, the day that you make that your focus is the day that cessation of life has left and, and breath is still in their body. Focus on living because dying will take care of itself. These are some experiences that are loaded with principles, that are loaded with wisdom, that are loaded with faith, that are loaded with its own set of pressures and relief, risk and responsibility. In fact, guess what? The way that I'm able to impact others' lives has a lot to do with my own set of pain that I've sojourned through, had the courage to analyze and the wisdom to take action. Everything you need to be impactful and effective is harnessed in your story if you would read it differently. As I transition out to bring you another podcast next week, and next week I have the state representative, Jewel Jones, is coming on. And in words that he would say, holla. And so next week, tune in. Please go to Amazon. Do yourself a favor and get this book, Mind Your Business, or go to thedrawingboardnation.com and get it there on the shop. Um, and then get this book, too. Make it a couple. Give, I want to give this away to somebody. The person in the comments who, who will put hashtag Mind Your Business and hashtag the drawing board. I want to mail this to you uh, this week. Go ahead, drop it in the comments below. Hashtag mind your business. Hashtag the drawing board. I want to get this to you today. So I end like this. Your future is not behind you. It is before you. I'm sorry, it is not behind you. It's not before you. It is within you. And this is Andre Ebron. This has been another podcast of the drawing board. God bless you.